0: At 6 a.m. on May 27, 2015, plainclothes officers acting on behalf of U.S. authorities trickled through the lobby of a five-star hotel in Zurich, Switzerland.
1: The FBI had been waiting years for this mission to be executed. Any small mistake could erase all of their hard work.
0: The officers were so quiet, so discreet, that some guests in the hotel slept through the whole ordeal. Had they woken up, they would have discovered one of the largest raids in sports history.
1: Before 7 a.m., the authorities arrested seven officials from soccer's governing body known as FIFA
0: news photographers gathered outside the hotel, each one hoping to score a front page photo of a millionaire soccer executive wearing handcuffs. But hotel staff held up white bed sheets to obscure the identities of those arrested. Meanwhile, officers strolled out of the hotel with large file boxes in hand.
1: Back in the States, the Justice Department and the Eastern District of New York took credit for the sting. U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch said she would do whatever she could to extradite and prosecute the foreign nationals.
0: For Lynch, the arrests in Switzerland were just the beginning of a campaign to root out corruption, plaguing the world's most popular sport. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our second episode on the FIFA scandal surrounding the 2022 World Cup. Of all the countries bidding to host the tournament, Qatar's proposal was rated the lowest by soccer's governing body. Yet the organization still awarded the tournament to the Gulf state. In the aftermath of the vote, Pundits around the world accused FIFA of engaging in foul play.
0: In this episode, we'll look at two conspiracy theories surrounding FIFA's alleged corruption. First, we'll address whether soccer's governing body behaved like an organized crime syndicate, with President Sepp Blatter acting as the godfather. Then, we'll explore whether Qatar actually cheated its way into hosting the 2022 World Cup.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So, if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T E R M I N I X.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
0: Shortly after FIFA awarded Qatar the hosting rights to the 2022 World Cup, new details came out about some of soccer's top officials. A former British intelligence officer hired by England's bid team named Christopher Steele received a tip about widespread corruption within FIFA.
1: It was a big accusation, and if it were proven true, it could spell doom for the organization. Steele passed his intel along to the FBI, believing the Bureau, with its extraterritorial jurisdiction, was one of the few organizations that could crack down on Soccer's governing body.
0: The tip piqued the FBI's interest. If the transactions took place in the U.S. or through American banks, then the FBI could ask for FIFA officials to be extradited and tried in an American court.
1: The case was assigned to Michael Gaeta and Jared Randall, two FBI agents who'd specialized in organized
0: crime. Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory. FIFA conducted itself like a crime syndicate, with President Sepp Blatter acting as the Godfather.
1: Agent Gaeta had spent years investigating the Italian mafia, and to him, FIFA wasn't all that different. Both organizations had a hierarchical structure where people's crimes depended on their status. For example, underneath a Mafia boss, there were underbosses, captains, and soldiers. FIFA was organized in a similar way, just with different job titles, like Vice President instead of Underboss.
0: For Gaeta's colleague, Agent Jared Randall, the case was personal. He'd played Division I soccer and even attended a World Cup match when the U.S. hosted the tournament in 1994. After work, he played for the New York City Police Department soccer team. To say he was a fan of the sport was an understatement.
1: As Gaeta and Randall looked into FIFA, they realized they could only dig up so much— the group of 24 officials who selected the World Cup host, otherwise known as the Executive Committee, was made up of powerful multimillionaires who kept their lives private.
0: Which meant the FBI's case wouldn't go far without an informant, someone on the inside who could get others to confess to the organization's wrongdoing. That's when they zeroed in on the only American member of FIFA's executive committee, a man named Chuck Blazer. Amongst his colleagues, Blazer was nicknamed Mr. Ten Percent, a title he'd earned after negotiating that 10% of all regional broadcast and marketing rights would go to him.
1: Those were huge deals, sometimes worth hundreds of millions of dollars. A 10% commission on them meant Blazer was a multimillionaire.
0: Perhaps that's why Blazer could afford two apartments in New York's Trump Tower, one for himself and one just for his cats. In a BuzzFeed profile of Blazer, writer Ken Bensinger described him as a big, brash man with a, quote, eerie resemblance to Santa Claus
1: but his likeness to St. Nick seemed to be the only humbling quality about him. Blazer flaunted his lavish lifestyle on his blog. The site included photos of Blazer in a private plane sitting next to former South African president Nelson Mandela, drinking expensive bottles of champagne at a New Year's party and walking through Central Park with his multicolored macaw.
0: His immense wealth naturally drew the curiosity of FBI officials, but they weren't the only ones interested in Blazer. In Southern California,
1: IRS agent Steve Berryman was toiling away in his cubicle when his phone buzzed. A headline whipped across his lock screen reading, FBI Examines U.S. Soccer bosses' Financial Records.
0: Berryman's main job at the IRS was taking down financial criminals. He liked to describe himself as, quote, an accountant with a gun. And this case was right up his alley.
1: Berryman was a huge soccer fan. He played on a local team, coached his children's squads, and frequently attended Major League Soccer games. He even woke up early on weekends to catch his favorite team, Liverpool, play in the English Premier League.
0: Although Berryman had never heard of Blazer, his eyes lit up when he learned about the FBI's investigation. After looking into it further, he found the exco member had multiple offshore bank accounts, including one in the Cayman Islands, which was a notorious tax haven.
1: Berryman had heard about shady soccer officials before, but they were usually in Europe or Africa, where soccer was more popular and therefore more ripe for corruption.
0: But Blazer lived in America. That meant he paid taxes in the U.S.
1: And if there were any issues with his taxes, American authorities could charge him on U.S. soil.
0: According to Ken Bensinger, author of Red Card, How the U.S. Blew the Whistle on the World's Biggest Sports Scandal, Berryman suspected Blazer might have been hiding a portion of his income. And when he finally looked up the soccer official's tax history, the system said, quote, no records found.
1: Meaning Blazer hadn't paid income tax for the past 17 years.
0: Neglecting to file taxes can be a misdemeanor, but intentionally hiding income and not reporting foreign bank accounts to the U.S. government, well, those were felonies.
1: The more Berryman looked into Blazer, the shadier the soccer official appeared. Checks for hundreds of thousands of dollars, shell companies, bank accounts in the Cayman Islands. It appeared the EXCO member had also pocketed money that FIFA had designated for other expenses. Yet he didn't claim any of it as income.
0: After poring over Blazer's transactions, Berriman realized the soccer official had embezzled nearly $20 million. The IRS agent shared his findings with the FBI, who jumped into action.
1: On November 30th, 2011, Blazer and his girlfriend, Mary Lynn Blanks, were leaving their New York apartment to go out to dinner. As they exited onto Fifth Avenue, Berryman and the FBI's Jared
0: Randall approached the
1: couple from behind.
0: The soccer official told his girlfriend to head to the restaurant without him. Once she left, the FBI and IRS agents grilled Blazer on his transgressions.
1: They said they knew about Blazer's tax delinquency and wanted him to come clean about the bribery allegations surrounding the World Cup bidding process.
0: If he refused, then the FBI would prosecute him for the maximum punishment, 75 to 100 years in jail.
1: It was enough to scare Blazer into cooperating.
0: Blazer admitted to a laundry list of wrongdoings, including accepting bribes. He, along with other ex-co members, supposedly took cash to support France's bid to host the 1998 World Cup and South Africa's campaign to stage the 2010 games. Blazer's days of raking in dark money and gallivanting all over the world were over. Now, he was at the beck and call of the feds.
1: In exchange for a lighter punishment, Blazer agreed to spy on other soccer officials for the FBI. Agents instructed him to wear a wire and secretly record his conversations with other FIFA members. But Blazer was supposedly too overweight and sweaty for a wire to stick. So the FBI gave him a discreet keychain and told him to put his keys on the table during meetings with soccer officials.
0: This, coupled with intel from Blazer, gave the FBI enough to start building a case under the RICO Act. The 1970s laws were designed to combat organized crime rings, like the Mafia. It criminalized activities like using illegal income to establish, acquire, or run an enterprise.
1: American authorities could use the law to request FIFA officials be extradited to the U.S.
0: Then, the Department of Justice could prosecute them for corruption.
1: FBI agents usually worked on an organized crime case for about 12 to 18 months. But FIFA's corruption was so pervasive, Blazer assisted the FBI for nearly two years. During that time, he taped private conversations and handed over secret documents.
0: Then, in the fall of 2014, the New York Daily News caught wind of the operation. They published a report exposing Blazer as an FBI informant.
1: Now that his role was compromised, Blazer wouldn't be able to spy discreetly on his colleagues. So Gaeta and Randall had to close in on the suspects they'd identified so far.
0: It was time to start making arrests.
1: Coming up... One of the biggest raids
3: in sports history. Of all the mysteries in the world, perhaps the greatest is... When will it all end? Or rather, how? Hi listeners, it's Richard and Molly from the Spotify original from Parcast, Unexplained Mysteries.
0: With the end of the year approaching, Unexplained Mysteries is taking a closer look at some of the most infamous end-of-the-world scenarios in a five-part Doomsday Special you do not want to miss.
3: Throughout the month of December, discover the many ways people have prophesized our demise, from a religious apocalypse and an alien invasion to threats from space and nuclear warfare. We'll even explore how advancements in technology could be our undoing.
0: Do any of us have anything to truly be scared of? Therein lies the mystery. Listen to the Unexplained Mysteries five-part doomsday special, free and only on Spotify.
1: This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T E R M I N I X.com. Now back to the story.
0: With help from the IRS, FBI agents Michael Gaeta and Jared Randall went after American soccer official Chuck Blazer in 2011.
1: They got him to cooperate with an investigation into FIFA's corruption. But when a 2014 article revealed Blazer was an FBI informant, Gaeta and Randall knew his time was up.
0: So, on May 27, 2015, the FBI gave the go-ahead for authorities to move in with full force. Plainclothes officers raided a Swiss hotel where some of soccer's top officials were staying. In one fell swoop, they arrested seven of their suspects. Among them was one of FIFA's vice presidents, Jeffrey Webb.
1: Just like the mob, all the individuals were committing corruption in the same fashion. But instead of carrying out their illicit transaction in dark street corners, these soccer officials resorted to boardrooms and wire transfers.
0: The sting was just the beginning of a much larger crackdown. In the coming months, U.S. authorities indicted 42 defendants on charges including wire fraud, money laundering, and racketeering.
1: In the documentary, The Men Who Sold the World Cup, Former IRS criminal investigation special agent Amy Chabillion said that combined, the forfeited bribes and kickbacks ultimately added up to about $500 million.
0: Many of the defendants accepted plea deals, but the three who refused were extradited to the U.S. for trial. Juan Angel Naput of Paraguay, Jose Maria Marin of Brazil, and Manuel Borga of Peru. In November 2017, the Department of Justice finally took those three men to court.
1: Each were the former heads of their country's soccer federations, and now they were facing serious charges. Put together, they were accused of accepting over $21 million worth of bribes. Still, each maintained their innocence.
0: Although the men were from different countries, the Department of Justice was able to prosecute them thanks to their financial ties to the U.S.
1: For example, Maureen and Naput both owned homes in the States. Because they had money coming into the country's banking system, they were susceptible to U.S. criminal charges.
0: Over the course of a month-long trial, prosecutors from the Eastern District of New York detailed just how pervasive the corruption inside FIFA truly was. A slew of evidence, including bank records, emails, secretly recorded conversations, and hotel bills showed the defendants had entertained bribes.
1: The prosecution also called on witnesses to corroborate the allegations. Among them was Santiago Pena, a sports marketing executive who had already taken a deal to cooperate instead of facing his own corruption charges.
0: In a spreadsheet documenting his company's expenses, Peña explained how they used the names of car brands as stand-ins for the FIFA officials they sent payments to. For example, bribes sent to Peru's Manuel Burga were listed as Fiat, and Paraguay's Juan Angel Naput as Honda.
1: In exchange, his company got to market and air the matches, which in turn allowed them to sell lucrative ad spots.
0: To avoid suspicion, his company sometimes paid soccer officials through a third party. Other times, FIFA leaders were bribed with perks, like $10,000 tickets to a Paul McCartney concert.
1: In exchange for sharing company documents with American authorities, Peña was allowed to walk free.
0: The prosecution's star witness turned out to be Alejandro Bursaco, a former marketing executive for an Argentinian company. Bursaco had already pleaded guilty to corruption-related charges brought against him by American authorities.
1: On the stand, Bursaco accused all three defendants of accepting illicit payments. He offered about $160 million worth of bribes to various FIFA leaders. In exchange, they awarded his company valuable broadcast and marketing rights to soccer
0: matches. At one point, during Bursaco's testimony, he broke down on the stand. He claimed Manuel Burga, the Peruvian defendant, made a throat-slitting gesture at him, threatening his life.
1: Berga's attorney claimed he was itching a rash on his neck, but taken out of context, it resembled mob-like intimidation. Judge Pamela Chen seemed to agree and responded by placing stricter terms on Berga's house arrest.
0: When the trial ended in December 2017, Paraguay's Juan Angel Naput was found guilty on three counts of racketeering and wire fraud conspiracy and Brazil's Jose Maria Marine, who pocketed over $6.5 million in illegal payments, was deemed guilty on six counts of racketeering, wire fraud, and money laundering conspiracy.
1: Despite his alleged menacing gesture to a witness and being accused of accepting over $4 million in bribes, Berga was later acquitted of the racketeering charge against him.
0: When all was said and done, U.S. prosecutors had convicted a majority of the 42 defendants in its corruption case. And the authorities secured hundreds of millions of dollars in stolen money to be returned to FIFA.
1: Still, there was a prominent soccer official who remained free. FIFA president Sepp Blatter. Apparently, the FBI didn't have a strong enough case to bring forth against the leader.
0: But the scandals surrounding FIFA diminished the organization's trust in their president. Even if Blatter hadn't personally accepted any bribes, he'd presided over an organization where corruption and crime ran rampant.
1: So after leading FIFA for the better part of two decades, Blatter resigned from his post in 2015. By the end of the year, FIFA's ethics committee had suspended their former boss from global soccer for an unauthorized $2 million payment he'd approved for ex-co-member Michel Platini.
0: The suspension meant he couldn't participate in any soccer-related events, no more box seats or attending lavish parties thrown by the organization.
1: To this day, Blatter denies any wrongdoing. In July 2022, a Swiss court found him and ex-co's Michel Platini not guilty of fraud for the payment in question.
0: But Swiss authorities appealed that decision in October, and the former FIFA president remains in hot water for other allegations. FIFA's ethics committee recently extended Blatter's ban from soccer to 2028, The extension was a punishment for another alleged crime. Blatter raised executives' bonuses in exchange for them granting Blatter a raise. The undue payments totaled $49 million.
1: As of September, 2022, Swiss authorities were still investigating Blatter for a million dollar payment FIFA made under his leadership to former Trinidad and Tobago ex-co-member Jack Warner.
0: Warner was one of the FIFA members indicted in the FBI's investigation.
1: The ongoing legal trouble might be why Blatter has rarely left Switzerland since stepping down as FIFA president. Depending on where he travels, he could be targeted with a sealed indictment and extradited to the U.S. for trial.
0: But we don't know for sure whether the U.S. courts have a case against Blatter. And since we can't be sure whether Blatter orchestrated the bribes and racketeering that happened within FIFA, I'm not sure we can really say if FIFA was run like a crime syndicate. It seems within the organization, every man was out for himself, which is why on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I have to give this a 2.
1: I agree. It's not clear whether FIFA was a criminal organization or just an organization with a lot of criminals. But there's no denying its members were involved in widespread corruption. Even FBI agent Michael Gaeta thought FIFA was structured like a crime ring. That's why he put together a RICO case against them. The same law he used to crack down on mafiosos in New York City. I have to give this one a four.
0: Blatter may not have been personally involved in any wrongdoing, but it seems like his executive committee wasn't as trustworthy. After they awarded the hosting rights for the 2022 World Cup to Qatar, the press speculated the vote may have been fixed.
1: In our previous episode, we discussed how badly countries wanted to stage the tournament. Hosting such a grand event would help their economies
0: and boost their global image. But no matter how badly they wanted it, countries agreed to a code of ethics that forbade, quote, bribery, excessive gifts, and abusing one's position in football to further private interests. On paper, this guaranteed potential host countries would only be judged on the quality of their bids.
1: But in reality, Qatar seemed willing to entice FIFA voters by any means necessary.
0: Coming up, the Gulf state engages in a high-stakes quid pro quo.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
1: After the FBI tried to use the RICO laws to take down several members of FIFA, many believe the organization was run more like a crime syndicate than a sports association, and President Sepp Blatter was acting as the godfather.
0: Blatter was never found guilty of accepting any bribes or gifts himself, which is why many believe this accusation was a step too far. However, there was another allegation being thrown FIFA's way before Blatter even stepped down.
1: In the documentary, The Men Who Sold the World Cup, intelligence officer Christopher Steele revealed a shocking transaction leading up to FIFA's 2018 and 2022 hosting announcement. Allegedly, Russian officials had offered valuable paintings to 2 Exco members in exchange for
0: their votes. The timing of the gifts seemed awfully suspicious, but Russia denied any allegations of wrongdoing related to its 2018 World Cup bid, and authorities ultimately cleared the two EXCO members of any charges.
1: Even if Russia did bribe a couple of EXCO members with artwork, the country's alleged behavior pales in comparison to the allegations against Qatar's bid to host the 2022
0: tournament. Which leads us to conspiracy theory number two. Qatar cheated to win the hosting rights to the 2022 World Cup. They allegedly bribed EXCO members, used the World Cup vote as a pawn in political agreements, and organized a vote swap, actions all prohibited by FIFA.
1: Traditionally, countries vying to host the World Cup had to earn at least 13 of Exco's 24 votes to win a majority. But in 2010, the number of voting members had been reduced to 22 after two officials were caught on tape entertaining bribes. And every single vote was precious.
0: Over the course of the bidding process, it usually becomes apparent which contenders are the frontrunners. For the 2022 World Cup, that country was America. The US had staged the games before in 1994, when the tournament attracted over three and a half million spectators, a record that stands to this day.
1: The United States also had enough hotels, restaurants, and public transit options to accommodate the influx of tourists.
0: By contrast, Qatar had myriad problems. The country didn't have the infrastructure for a big sports tournament, and there were concerns about the country's track record of human rights abuses. Qatar also had a dangerously hot temperature in the summer, when the games were originally scheduled to take place.
1: What the Gulf state lacked in facilities, it made up for with cold, hard cash. They seemed willing to spend whatever amount was necessary to win the hosting rights to the 2022 World Cup.
0: As we discussed in part one, sports was a key aspect of Qatar's national vision project. The initiative called for rebranding the Middle Eastern nation from an oil state to a cultural powerhouse. If done right, becoming a player in the global sports arena could quiet the concerns outsiders had about their human rights issues.
1: So Qatar sought every opportunity to make its mark on international soccer, especially in Europe. In 2010, then-French president Nicolas Sarkozy allegedly reached out to French ex-co-member Michel Platini.
0: Of the 22 members voting on the World Cup host, Platini was one of the most prominent. Before he joined FIFA's executive committee, the Frenchman was regarded as one of the greatest soccer players of all time. During the 1980s, he helped lead France to two World Cup semifinals and won the European Footballer of the Year award three times.
1: After his storied athletic career, Platini was entrusted to lead FIFA's European Confederation, home to some of the most watched soccer teams in the world.
0: In the months leading up to the World Cup vote, Platini is said to have expressed support for the United States bid to host the 2022 games. But now, on what felt like the eve of the vote, the president of France was supposedly asking him to open his eyes to a new possibility. Maybe Qatar was a better choice.
1: While Platini later denied he ever felt pressured by Sarkozy to vote for Qatar, France stood to gain a significant financial boost if the French soccer star gave the Gulf state his support. And it would be even better if he could rally other European delegates to join him.
0: At the time, Sarkozy was reportedly in talks with Qatari officials over a few lucrative deals. There had also been conversations about Qatar taking an ownership stake in the French president's favorite soccer team, Paris Saint-Germain.
1: The squad was in financial turmoil and struggling to win matches. Sarkozy seemed to be optimistic that a Qatari investment could help the team stay afloat and achieve better results. If Qatar was to win the hosting bid and own Paris's soccer team, the tiny Gulf state could distinguish itself as a global force to be reckoned with.
0: In addition to the soccer alliance between Qatar and France, Sarkozy wanted to strike an economic partnership. There had been talks about Qatar Airways purchasing as many as 50 planes from French aerospace company Airbus, a deal worth billions of dollars.
1: Just nine days before Exco was scheduled to vote on the World Cup bids, Sarkozy invited the Crown Prince of Qatar and Exco member Michel Platini to a meeting at the Élysée Palace in Paris.
0: We don't know the exact details of their conversation, but Platini claimed he didn't feel pressured by Sarkozy to vote a certain way. The Frenchman admitted he voted for Qatar because he believed his decision was in quote, the best interest of soccer.
1: This was despite the fact that FIFA's evaluation group gave the Gulf state a poor review. They also deemed it a high risk destination.
0: And yet, Platini brought Qatar closer to achieving a 12-person majority. But the Middle Eastern countries still needed a little more support to lock in the bid.
1: But Qatar had a secret weapon. Billionaire Mohammed bin Hammam, the businessman, was one of the 22 members on FIFA's executive committee voting on the host.
0: Bin Hammam attained great wealth in the 1970s when his construction company, Chemco, won lucrative state contracts. Shortly after, they were building skyscrapers all across Qatar's capital city of Doha.
1: Ever since then, Bin Hammam remained a loyalist to the Qatari crown and had a spot on the Sheikh's Royal Advisory Council. So if Qatar's crown prince, Sheikh Tamim bin Hamid al-Thani, wanted his country to host the World Cup, then bin Hamam would do everything to make sure that wish came true.
0: The businessman was never formally associated with Qatar's bid committee. But behind the scenes, he made a series of moves to bolster the country's chances.
1: Bin Hammam orchestrated private meetings around the world with FIFA officials. The Qatari billionaire treated them to private cruises, stays in five-star hotels, and expensive meals.
0: During their meetings, Bin Hamam asked soccer administrators what they needed to grow the sport in their own countries. In return for those donations, he'd asked them for their support in Qatar's World Cup bid.
1: After these conversations, the same soccer officials Bin Hamam met with received large wire transfers. We're talking anywhere from $10,000 to $200,000 at a time. To obscure these transactions, Bin Hamam allegedly sent the payments from slush funds tied to his construction company, Kemco. Sometimes he also used his daughter's private account.
0: In total, it's believed Bin Hammam paid $5 million worth of bribes to international soccer officials, but he also orchestrated other deals and payments that were questionable, albeit legal.
1: For example, Bin Hammam reportedly used his position at FIFA to advocate for the transfer of $800,000 to the Ivory Coast Football Association, all under the guise of promoting soccer in the West African nation. In turn, the country's ex-co member Jacques Anouma promised Bin Hamam to push very hard for Qatar's World Cup bid.
0: It's unclear whether or not Anouma actually used the payment to develop soccer in his nation. Either way, Qatar seemingly earned another supporter.
1: Even after doling out millions of dollars, Bin Hammam allegedly took an extra measure to help Qatar's bid for 2022. According to investigative journalists with The Sunday Times, he appears to have colluded with Russia, another long-shot nation in contention for the 2018 tournament.
0: In the months leading up to FIFA's vote, Bin Hamam hosted the Russian bid team and the country's energy minister in Doha. At the meeting, Qatari and Russian officials allegedly agreed to do whatever they could to support each other's bids. Apparently, Qatar also promised to invest billions of dollars to develop oil fields on Russia's Yamal Peninsula.
1: But Bin Hamam may have been a double agent. Even though he seemed to have helped foster an agreement with Russia... He may have also had a vote-swapping alliance with Russia's rivals, Spain and Portugal. The
0: alleged vote swap worked like this. Qatari officials would use their influence to gain support for Spain and Portugal's joint bid for the 2018 World Cup. In return, certain EXCO members would support Qatar's bid for the 2022 Games. However, this kind of collusion was outlawed by FIFA. It clearly stated on the bid registration form that each country was prohibited from making any agreement with another host.
1: But Qatar didn't seem to play by the rules. According to the Daily Telegraph, this deal could have potentially provided the Gulf state with the votes it needed to win the rights to the tournament.
0: Shortly after the Daily Telegraph reported on the possible collusion between Qatar and Spain and Portugal, the Sunday Times of London published an exposé about the allegation, explaining that the deal would have given each side 7 out of the 12 votes needed to win a majority of EXCO's support.
1: Undercover reporters at the Sunday Times had secretly filmed a conversation with former FIFA General Secretary Michel Zen Rufinin, blatantly confirming the alleged alliance. He reportedly said, quote, I was informed about it last week, and this is not just a rumor, it's a fact.
0: Zen Rufinin later backtracked his remarks, claiming he was repeating well known rumors. But even leaders of the American and England bid committees claimed EXCO members told them about Qatar's vote swap. According to the chair
1: of the U.S. bid committee, Sunil Gulati, a Spanish EXCO member was the one who told him of the deal. He allegedly said he didn't think Qatar was the best candidate to host the World Cup, but he'd vote for it anyway, because Spain and Qatar already had an agreement in place.
0: Another exco member revealed more to the story. Allegedly, Bin Hamam rallied three exco members from Asia to support the Spain-Portugal bid for 2018.
1: In return, three exco members from South America voted in favor of Qatar's 2022
0: bid. Qatar, as well as Spain and Portugal's joint bid committee, denied the vote swap deal ever existed. And surprisingly, a FIFA investigation failed to find conclusive evidence of collusion. Because FIFA's Exco cast their votes in secret, it's impossible to know for certain which bids each member supported.
1: But in 2012, Bin Hammam's conduct finally came to light. Even FIFA President Sepp Blatter ultimately told the BBC, quote, "I'll be honest." There was a bundle of votes between Spain and Qatar.
0: With Bin Hamam's activities public knowledge, FIFA banned the Qatari official from any soccer-related activities for life.
1: Or so it seemed. The Court of Arbitration for Sport later overturned the bribery-related ban due to a lack of evidence. However, they didn't go so far as to declare Bin Hamam innocent. And in 2012, he received a new unrelated lifetime ban in connection to conflicts of interest that arose while he was president of the Asian Football Confederation.
0: But Qatar may still be exposed for cheating. In April, 2020, after about a decade of investigating, the US Department of Justice had enough evidence to publicly disclose the names of individuals involved in the alleged bribery scheme. According to
1: an indictment targeting media executives and a sports marketing company, the Gulf states specifically lined the pockets of three South American ex-co members. Argentina's Julio Grondona, Paraguay's Nicolas Leos, and Brazil's Ricardo Teixeira.
0: But by the time the DOJ revealed these details, Grondona and Leos had passed away. And Teixeira was in Brazil, which did not have an extradition treaty with the U.S.
1: Teixeira is currently serving a lifetime ban from all soccer-related activity after FIFA cracked down on him for accepting bribes.
0: I think the question of whether Qatar really did cheat its way to the hosting rights for the 2022 World Cup is complicated. It depends on whether all the allegations against Qatar are true. For the most part, we have to rely on the word of various soccer officials, American authorities, and investigative reporting. Based on their accounts, it seems possible Qatar violated FIFA's rules during the bidding process. For those reasons, I give this theory a five.
1: To me, the DOJ's indictment is the final nail in the coffin. And following his election in 2016, even FIFA's new president recognized the organization's past troubles and the need for reform. That's not insignificant. Short of the bid committees openly admitting to criminal behavior, I'm inclined to believe Qatar cheated to host the World Cup. I give this theory an 8 out of 10.
0: Whether or not the entire truth is ever revealed, Qatar came out on top. On November 20th, 2022, the Gulf state staged the opening match of the World Cup.
1: Because of Qatar's climate, the games had to be moved from their usual summer schedule to the fall, disrupting the traditional soccer calendar.
0: But with the tournament finally underway, soccer fans could take a break from the scandal surrounding their sport and fully appreciate the beautiful game.
1: Thanks for tuning into Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: We'll be back next time with a new episode.
1: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
0: And the official story isn't always the truth.
1: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian bois Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Spencer Howard. Ben Bishop is our supervising editor and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Ben Hanani, edited by Amber Von Schassen and Lori Gottlieb, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Bradley Klein, recorded by Freddie Rivera, produced by Bruce Kotovich, and sound designed by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy.
0: An alien invasion, nuclear warfare, the second coming. How will the world end? Will we be prepared? And will it matter? This December, join Unexplained Mysteries for a five-part Doomsday Special examining the many theories about humanity's ultimate demise.
3: We're counting down to the end of the year with the most infamous end-of-the-world scenarios of all time. Listen to the Unexplained Mysteries five-part Doomsday Special, free and only on Spotify.